Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, sports media, and Hollywood. I'm the executive producer and host, Ed. Mike Patrick, who recently retired after three decades at ESPN, is one of the best and most important sports broadcasters of all time, in my opinion, and likely many more. He's also one of my closest friends, a former broadcast partner. I got to know Mike personally and professionally very well, but I wanted to know more, and since I'm doing a podcast, we did an interview. As always, I found him and his story inspiring, and I hope you do as well. One audio note, we had a terrible internet connection, and there is quite a bit of warble, especially when we start speaking. I was able to follow everything. I don't think you're going to miss anything, so I hope you enjoy. Here is Icons and Open Heart Surgery with Mike Patrick. We'll start here. Uh, Mike Patrick joins us. Mike retired recently from ESPN. He was a partner of mine at ESPN for 10 years, 7 years, 8 years. What did we do college football, uh, Mike? And I had so many partners. I think it was about, I think it was about eight. Now we're talking about professionally here, right? Yes. Good. Um, so one thing I, uh, I want to, it's like you start off with a bang. So you're an icon and ESPN, I think did a really terrific job when you stepped aside, you know, they brought you on the basketball. Did you get to call a game, an ACC game? Uh, no, or they brought you. Did you go to Duke? I saw you. I saw you on I went, camera. I went to Duke and they did a halftime ceremony and they, uh, you know, Mike Krzyzewski was, uh, very kind to give me some memorabilia to mark the night. And I joined the broadcast, uh, and they said, just, you know, speak as long as you want about, uh, you know, how many games you did here and talk about the ACC. And did you go uh, into a 40 minute old man rant that never stopped and they couldn't get. The yeah. Reaction? One of those only <laughs> it was more like, it was more like 10, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I'm still able to tell time. So that helped. Uh, that's amazing. And so Mike did how many years at ESPN? Uh, 35. Yeah. And I know you called a bunch of stuff. You did, you did little league world series, didn't you? Or College no, World Series. College World Series. That's right. So did College World Series for baseball. And now these are all sports you played. What did you play in high school? Uh, we didn't have a baseball team, so I played, uh, you know, Babe Ruth and that kind of stuff to substitute for it, the equivalent. Uh, I was too small to play football. I was 5'5 five, five and 145 pounds, and I wasn't fast. So there weren't many, there weren't many skills left on the table for me to throw at the coach. Um, uh, I was a really good, you know, when we played sandlot ball and stuff like that, I was a really good wide receiver. I could catch anything, but yeah. you know, I never got, never got the chance. And that's the way it goes. Uh, so really baseball was my, uh, was my chosen sport. I played, um, as long as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I gave you a little homework before you started, but we'll get to that in a second. But I, I, my dog ate, (laughs) Uh, but you know, I looked through and I was like, you remember, uh, this is your life. Remember that? Yeah. That TV show. And there's a podcast I listened. Yeah. There's a podcast I listened to a lot called the dollop. I mentioned that when we were talking. So I sort of did a, uh, a look at your life through the lens of how they write history on the dollop and uh, the, uh, and this is your life. And there's this moment in your life where it's 2004, where you're at the top of the world as far okay. as your career, right? You're, you're right. the, you're the host and play by play man of Sunday night football on ESPN. Right. Right. And you and I have talked about this, Mike, and this is why you are an icon. I love, I love, you know, making your cheeks blush with this Sunday but night. It f- works <laughs> Sunday night right now. And I'm by myself. There you go. Sunday night football. And this is personal because I was playing in the NFL when you started this. And I say you, cause you were really one of the key, if not the key per you were the face of it from the beginning for people who don't remember 
until the 90s and into the late 90s, the NFL was a Sunday-only affair. There was a 1 o'clock Eastern and 4 o'clock Eastern kickoff. And those were on uh, a couple of different networks at a time, and they'd sort of bounce around NBC and CBS and ABC. And then Fox comes in, and ESPN wants to be at that table and very brilliantly launches Sunday Night Football. And so football that now, was, as we that know was it, in 1980. That was in 1987. Wow. We got the, we got the rights Amazing. to half the season. Uh, the other half of the season went to TNT. That's right. That's right. Fox wasn't even in the picture yet. That's right. So the first half of the year I did college football and the second half of the year I did the NFL. That's perfect. That's exactly the way you'd want to do it. If you're going to cut those two seasons. In yeah, half. it was wonderful. Yeah. And then I was doing ACC basketball besides that. That's amazing. So you're cruising along. It takes a little while to get the booth together. Um, uh, where it ends up being really, in my opinion, and most people's opinion, if you're talking about three men booths in, in football in the NFL, you know, if you're going to look at across Monday night or any, any sort of primetime broadcast, you guys are top two, right? Forget. Well, thank that it, you. Yes. Forget that it was, it was, uh, you know, sort of cutting edge and leading as far as its time frame and, and shifting the NFL from a, Six day when or six hour window to a 10, a 12 hour window is what ESPN right. helped happen. Both and then, you know, with Chris Berman and what he was doing on the desk to connect exactly. the two, and it just became a whole day. Um, so there you guys are cruising. I met you all. Uh, I was with the Seahawks, you covered us against the Jaguars, uh, late in the season. So, you know, sort of fulfillment for me. I'm a kid from DC, I grew up watching you on Channel 7. I grew up listening. You call ACC basketball and football games. You know, it's kind of a cool moment right now. Yeah, you were a bit of an icon <laughs> for me when I came to meet you on the field. Yeah, yeah it was, and of course, Joe Theismann. I grew up uh, a Washington right. football team fan, and uh, you know Joe's history there. Um, sure. But there you are in two thousand four. I mean, you're you're a rock star in our business. That's the best gig going. There is no better gig and you're killing it. You're, you're good. Your team is good. You guys liked working together. You've shared that a lot with me at a great, you know, great oh, chemistry. Absolutely. Yeah. And boom, you have to have heart surgery. 2004. Yes. Walk us through that. What happened? What'd you get? Why'd you at your peak? You sort of hit your bottom at the same time. Well, there are several, uh, there are several uh, facets to that. One, I was lucky I found out uh, the way I did. I was playing uh, golf somewhere in southern Virginia, and I felt faint when the round was over. And just Because you lost a lot of money or? Uh... No, well, well, both. Lost everything I had, and I was dehydrated. Um, uh so just in case I went to the doctor the next day and he said in the same building, there's a cardiologist. I'd like you to go see him. I don't think there's anything wrong, but just in case, and you're already in the building. So I walked downstairs and the cardiologist put me on a treadmill and 30 seconds later, he said, you need a heart surgery. Mm. So uh, a week later I had a quad bypass um, and it took six weeks to recover. And the doctor was so great. He said, if you do exactly what I tell you to do in six weeks, you'll feel like you never had anything happen. And he was right. And I did exactly what he told me to do. Uh, and the funny thing is, is and what was the, what was the diagnosis and the surgery? Cause it was massive, right? All of, yeah, they, you know, they cut you from stem to stern and uh, the four arteries that feed your heart, uh, they were all 95 to 98% block. So I was a very heavy smoker, uh, as you might recall. Um, 
And they said it was all because of cigarettes. I smoked three packs a day for 49 years. Uh, that'll do it. And, and you weren't, uh, uh, you had some stories about when you were smoking and calling games that it, you're, you know, it's such a different time, Mike. I mean, oh, I know. you know, just unbelievable. But uh, when, uh, when was that and last? Tell, me the, tell me the story of the last cigarette. Uh, and I hope it's true to what you told me before. Uh, Wasn't I it? have, I have never, uh, I can honestly say, uh, since I was a teenager, I have never inflated a story, uh, that I've ever told anybody because so many of them are so bizarre. I never really had to, uh, I was meeting the surgeon that I wanted to do the surgery and, we were standing on the lawn of Arlington hospital in Arlington, Virginia, and I was having a cigarette and it was right Tuesday. open heart surgery because of cigarettes. <laughs> oh yeah. Listen, I smoked, I smoked in this shower. I smoked at every possible opportunity. You have to, to get through three packs a day. Yeah. That's like I'm, one match you, at the start. Yeah. You got, you got to you have to smoke constantly. And I never knew that it offended people. Mm. I, I couldn't understand why people say, you know, geez, that stinks. And, you know, why do you do that? And the smoke is making me cough. Because I started when I was 12. You know, everybody in West Virginia smoked. You started early because it was a cool thing to do. Mm. So you did it. And I just never understood until I quit how smoke could bother other people. I really mm. didn't. I was mm. so naive about it. But I'm having this cigarette on the lawn talking to the surgeon about, you know, what my chances are. Uh, and he said, by the way, that's your last cigarette. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, your surgery is scheduled for Thursday. And if you have another one, you may not see Thursday. Mm. And I casually flipped the cigarette aside and I haven't had one since. So you, you were just getting that, you know, okay. Yeah, sure. The cigarettes caused the hard stuff, but you, you, your, your upbringing, you mentioned West Virginia, you and I both have, I have, you know, we owned a home in West Virginia. I used to spend a lot of time up there. Uh, matter of fact, you own property near a cabin where I used to go with my family growing up to West Virginia. Yeah, a place called Shenandoah. That's right. That's right. Beautiful place. Uh, but you're born in 1944. Right. End of World War II. You know, sort of the, the industrialization goes crazy. Coal mining goes crazy. Uh, right. Where'd you grow up in West Virginia? And what was it like? Uh, Clarksburg, which is north central, uh, about an hour south of Pittsburgh. Uh, and it was, uh, to coin a phrase, it was a wonderful life. Um, I was basically raised by my grandparents who adored me and I adored them. Um, what happened to mom and dad? Um, my mother got remarried, moved to DC and thought it was best if I continued to be, uh, raised by my grandparents. She was right. Uh, she, I, our relationship was more, uh, actually brother and sister mm. because we were living in the same house in my grandparents' house mm. and my grandparents treated her the same way they treated me. Wow. That's um, trippy. Yeah, it was, it was really odd. And I don't think she wanted to be a mother in the first place. Right. So that, yeah, yeah. she wanted know, to be a teen. Yeah. She still wanted yeah, exactly, to be a Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How old was she when she uh, had you? Uh, 18, I guess. Yeah, 19. I mean, just babies, man. Yeah. And they man. had, she had just gotten married when she got pregnant. And my father, who I met only once when I was 16, uh, he left, I guess, when I was six weeks old, I'm told. This is how, how uh, old was obviously, he? Uh, same age, maybe yeah. a year older. And he was a, uh, a city cop, became a city detective. Uh, he only and had where? one problem. He, uh, Clarksburg. Yeah. 
and he was running a uh, casino on the side, which mm. of course was highly illegal. Uh, and they, uh, they caught him and put him in jail. Mm. So I never heard from him or saw him until his mother died, my grandmother on his side of the family. And I went to the funeral and he walked up to me and said, Mike, I'm your dad. Mm. Well, I was, uh, I completely speechless. How old you were know, you again? I just, 16. Oh, man. And I just stared at the guy. And I never said a word. Mm. Uh, and that was it. That was the only time I ever met him. Um, in the same tiny little town in West Virginia all those years. Yeah. Well, he had moved. Got it. Uh, after he got out of prison, he came somewhere in D.C., and uh, my mother's third, uh, my mother's second husband, uh, they got married when I was 10 and he adopted me. He was a wonderful person. Uh, they moved, his job was in D.C. and she moved with him. And we had to talk about whether I should stay in Clarksburg or not. And I had no desire to leave Clarksburg. At that point, it was known as the glass capital of the world. There mm. were eight, nine glass factories made mm. more glass than any other city on earth. Wow. That's cool. And everybody who wanted a job had a job, you know, either doing that or working in the mines or doing what people in other cities do. My granddad was an insurance salesman and uh, it was perfect. It that's was great. just perfect. Yeah. I had an idyllic life. It, well, I mean, come on, your, your dad didn't do you any favors on how to be a dad, <laughs> you know, like the sort of how no. to be a man, you know, you got to get, but, the, and, and but how about that you had the fault? Yeah, that's what I mean. I, you know, so many kids in your situation and, you know, you and I covered so many broken home kids through the years, oh, you sure. know, college football has a lot of kids that come from backgrounds where, you know, dad went to prison and, you know, things like you went through. But then they just don't or that those that grandparent is so stressed because it's it's not just Mike, you know, it's three or four or five right. kids and it's just such a stress. That's that's wonderful that your grandparents were there. And when did they pass? When uh, how long have they been gone? A uh, long, long, long time. Uh, yeah. They passed in my mid 20s. And uh, they were the two best people I ever knew. They, they, they never said, um, apparently racism was alive and well in West Virginia and I didn't know it. And why, what did uh, they do? Uh, they, they were kind to everybody. They treated people the way they, they would want other people to treat them. I mean, it was that simple mm. and they never said anything that was slightly racist uh, in, in, in no way. I mean, uh, yeah, modeling, just, modeling is such a big piece to all of that. You know, Oh my Lord, they yeah, were, they were really wonderful. Is. And when I first heard people talk, uh, as openly racist, I just stood there with my jaw dropped. Uh, like, did you really say that? Yeah. You know, and what what difference does a person's skin color make? I said, well, Good Lord, I mean, what's, what's it, wrong with you? You yeah, know, your grandparents say, you know, you think about that era, that's extraordinary and where they were, you know. Oh, I, I guess looking back on it. Yes. At the time, I, I thought yeah, it was your life was like that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So exactly. you're so you're playing baseball pretty well. You're not going to go play for the Yankees. You probably know this. No. Um, no. You're in Clarksburg. Uh, you go to college. Where, where'd you go to college again? I am going to GW in D.C., George oh. Washington. Oh, so there's D.C. Uh, comes into your life. Yeah. My, uh, my parents and grandparents decided after I graduated high school that they were going to uh, build a house together in Northern Virginia in Vienna. And uh, we were all going to live together again. And my mother had, uh, you know, as I said, had married a second time 
And so there were five of us living in this really nice house that they built. And I went to GW uh, and I absolutely uh, hated it. <laughs> uh, first of all, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I had uh, my, my grandfather had what they termed uh, in those days, a nervous breakdown. Mm. Uh, and so I became a psychology major and I was going to save the world. Mm. And then it dawned on me one day that psychology majors couldn't solve anything. Uh, and I would have been the worst psychologist on, on earth. I would have never listened to a single patient, what they said. The day I said uh, I wasn't going to be a psychology major anymore, I was walking through the student union and I saw a poster on the bulletin board, uh, you know, WRGW, the campus radio station needs announcers, disc jockeys, sportscasters, newscasters, blah, blah, blah. What and it was this? in uh, 1964. Got it. And the irony of this is that I had never thought about being a sportscaster, although my grandparents bought me one of these old tape recorders. Uh, you, you may have seen them in museums. They weighed about 70 mm -hmm. pounds, you know, reel to reel tape recorders. And I used to turn down the sound on television set and do the play by play myself just because it was fun. Wow. That's but cool. it never. Yeah. Yeah. Never I don't, do you know, do you know, yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine this for a living. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine in radio started it, doing it that by himself. That's amazing. I wish I still had the tapes. I'm and wasn't sure it, uh, was it St. Louis Cardinals? Isn't that when the Cardinals got into your blood? Oh, yeah. My, my uncle had a tryout with the Cardinals after World War II as a pitcher. And this is the earliest memory I have. I was four years old, and he said, Mike, you're a Cardinals fan and Stan Musial is the best player that ever lived. And I said, yes, sir. And I have been a Cardinal fan since that day. Yeah. They play 162 games. I'll watch 158 of them. You know, I've picked back up baseball. Uh, I played a little bit in high school and, you know, enough to where I, I knew what good players looked like up in person. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but I've gotten back into baseball, Mike. You know what has changed watching that game for me? What's up? The strike box and tracking the pitches oh, yeah. and their speed. It's cha yeah. it's changed the game. And I go to more games now because now when I watch the pitcher, I I get the nuance. I can watch it live now. But that that changed baseball for me, seeing where that ball's hitting, how accurate they are, the speed, the movement. And then yeah, now I understand the game better because if you don't get that, man, that game is tough to watch yes, it if is. you don't get that exchange between the catcher and the pitcher and the umpire like oh my gosh that's tough well i've always said ed if 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 you play a sport on any level and you're semi-intelligent i mean sandlot football pick up basketball uh you know baseball out in the field somewhere and if you enjoy the game you'll learn the game mm. and I got to play. I know I was going to go out as a junior in college going out for GW's baseball team. And I knew I could make it. Uh, I hadn't played in a couple of years. I still knew I could make the team because I understood the game, mm. but then it hit me. What point, you know, if I, if I do as well as I possibly could, uh, in my wildest dreams, I would end up in Class A playing second base, hitting 206, making $2,500 a year. And you'd what wake up at 27 team? years old with no skills. Yes. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Able, not able to get a job. I, I, so my college was, roommate you know, went and played. I made the right decision there. Yeah, my college roommate went and played minor league baseball. And uh, I think he did three or four years, got up to – maybe double a and just you know and it was uh, uh they offered him a job in the organization he called me he said hey should i take this job or keep playing and i said if they're offering you a job i'm not sure they see you as a prospect anymore and he took the job yeah that's a clue yeah so all right so you're in this you're at gw let's fast forward you start doing radio there 
I want to get to a couple of key moments uh, here uh, that really, I think, define who you are. Um, well, what was so funny about it is I saw the flyer on the bulletin board, you know, come work at the student radio station. And I said, you know, and that sounds like fun. And I was depressed because I, you know, psychology didn't work out. And I decided I wasn't going to try out for the team. You could have gone back to the psych department to work on your depression. Exactly. Exactly. Except I know it wouldn't have helped. Uh, So I walked upstairs and uh, there was one person in this tiny, tiny cramped space full of equipment from the 1920s. I mean, it looked like a museum. Mm. Uh, And I said, I saw the flyer downstairs. I love sports. And he says, would you like to do a a talk show? And I said, yeah. That's cool. He said, when "When can you start? I said, anytime. He said, we have a show at five o'clock this afternoon. Oh, you're kidding me. And I went, I do. <laughs> That's amazing. And I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I just sat there rambling and I talked them into doing uh, basketball and they wanted to do remotes anyhow, just to see if they could do it. Uh, a remote production where you call the game and call had. the action. Right. Yeah. So GW played its games at, at Fort Myer in Arlington uh, in a, in a little gym there. Cause we had no facilities, nothing. And the first game that I ever did, 30 seconds into it, I said, I've got to do this. This is, this is wonderful. This is so much fun. And that's all I ever wanted to do was have fun. Mm. I, I heard so many people grouse about getting up in the morning and hating their job and not wanting to go to work and complaining about it. And I thought, why would I want to do that? I'm going to do something that I enjoy. And if I can make a living, if I can scrape by, that's fine. That was my only consideration when I started. If I make a hundred bucks a week and I've got enough to buy food, I'm in. You know, Mike, it's, it's so refreshing because I've known you for so long. I mean, we've known each other since 2010. I mean, we'd met a few times before then, but we also worked together built a rapport right. together. And it was such a pleasure for me. I, oh, thanks, you, you were so good. You were so open and honest about what you saw. Uh, and it was, it, it was just a delight. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Mike. Uh, but you know, you, your joy for life is, uh, you know, top one or two of people I've gotten close to in my life. Someone who just, you, is you were, right? yeah, Mike, you always brought happiness and laughter and new ideas. And you're incredibly curious as a human on, in every well, that's topic. True. I am very curious about stuff. Yeah. On every topic. I mean, from, you know, your, your interest in the military and war and, you're, uh, you know, and, and you have to be very curious, I think, to do what a play-by-play person does because your career, you've called basketball, you've called baseball, you've called professional football, college football. I'm sure you've done, you know, some one-off events here and there. The amount of study and um, the amount of just knowledge you have to bring in, and then you have to spit it back out like you're sharing it for the first time, and it's the coolest thing you've ever heard. Right, that, right. Never fake for you, Mike. I don't. I, oh, no. I don't remember I, I, in the seven years we called games, you faking it. Even when, um, I I did when I was in D.C. I did George Washington basketball on the radio for two years. They were the worst team I've oh, ever man, that's hard. seen. We we couldn't beat anybody. But I loved going to the game. Yeah. Because somebody would do something that brought me pleasure. And I love to see people do uh, more than they are capable of doing at any one time. 
uh, late in, uh, in my college broadcasting career, I thought of doing something, and they structured it so I could do it uh, a few games. I wanted to tell a lengthy, got a two-minute break, and that's it. The rest, there's no time to tell stories unless they're 15-second stories, and I don't know any good 15-second stories. So I worked it out with our producer that they would double up on commercials and skip a break here and not do that, and they gave me almost two minutes to put together a story on a player on that team from history. And the first one we ever did, this was such a joy, and I, I don't know why people – well, it's too much trouble, but I, I, I wish people would do this. I thought of a guy named Ron Vanderkellen. Ron Vanderkellen. First you're, of all, we're getting that crazy yeah, computer glitch wanna, thing a, a bit. So I'll, I'll clear up what you're saying. <laughs> okay. It, it, it's the, I always I, I fell in love with names a long time ago. And Ron Vanderkellen is a great name. It is a good one. And he was a quarterback at Wisconsin. I believe in 1960 and they were in the Rose bowl and they lost, but Ron Vanderkellen was a copy of Fran Tarkenton. He would go back in the pocket. Couldn't find anybody to throw. Mike, I met, I met him, by the way, I met him at the Rose bowl at an event after we won the Rose bowl when I was in college. Absolutely met this dude. Yeah. Lord. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Cause I remembered it. He was a great player, like a really, really good. Oh, Really, good he was player. unbelievable. Yeah, and he could run around literally for 15 seconds, and it was like touch. Nobody could get a hand on. And then he'd throw the ball back across the field. And they had a guy named Pat Richter, who was a first-team All-American, and the Redskins' first-round draft choice that next year, and just a just a terrific player. But they lost the game. But in the fourth quarter. Ron Vanderkellen was something like, uh, don't hold me to these numbers. He was 18 for 18 for 310 yards and four <laughs> touchdowns in the fourth quarter. So I'm telling these people in our production meeting, and they're looking at me, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sure. And I got, they found some old film. I, the SID dug it up. and. We showed them the film, and these guys sat there with their jaws dropped because everything I said about this guy was true. Mm. He'd run around for 15 seconds and then chucked it downfield, and they almost came back and won the game. But the tagline to the thing was, you know, he was a backup quarterback in the NFL for a couple of years for Tarkenton, of all people. Mm. But after that, nobody ever heard of Ron Vanderkellen. But for the fourth quarter of that game, he was the best quarterback that ever lived. Mm. He was perfect. That's amazing. And I enjoyed telling that story so much. Uh, you know, they let me keep doing it. And it was, I, I, I thought stuff like that was just so fascinating. It didn't end in victory. They didn't win the Rose Bowl and all that stuff. Nobody remembered who he was. But he rose above himself in that fourth quarter. And honest to God, he was the best player on the face of the earth in the fourth quarter of that game. <laughs> well, let's move to, because we'll get right to the best player on the face of the earth. So you, you're doing radio, you're in the DC area, you end up on uh, Channel 7 ABC affiliate in DC where I grew up, you were, right. on, you were always on in our kitchen in around dinner time and at night. So I saw you and your cohorts on channel seven, doing pieces, telling stories like that, doing crazy stuff. But the whole time you're doing play by play and you sort of settle into that mid Atlantic region, calling a lot of ACC games, a lot of Maryland games. Right. And I exactly. reached out to you when the last dance came out on ESPN because there was footage in one of the trailers or teaser materials I saw that had your voice calling a Michael Jordan dunk when he was in North Carolina. It's that one of the, was the first, that was the first scoop where you're tucked it behind him and then slammed it. It was the first time he ever did that. 
So and it I is, think I said, what was that? You said exactly what was that. You said Jordan steals it and he goes up and cradles <laughs> it. Mike, I, I mean, I was in high school time. I think I watched that game. And because I remember that when, when Jordan burst on the scene, you know, taking us back to that time, the ACC, of course, right. Jordan and North Carolina, but also the Big East at the time, which was Patrick Ewing and the, the Hoyas and Chris Mullen and St. Oh, John's. Oh, yeah. I mean, that for about 200, 300 miles along 95, there was the best basketball in the world being played, you know, yes, a couple was. of teams in the NFL. Because a lot of, if you put a group of those guys together from the ACC and, and uh, Big East, they'd have beaten most NBA teams <laughs> for those guys when oh, they were juniors no and seniors. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, Maybe the hardest thing I ever did, they sent me a survey years and years ago uh, while I was still working and said, we need you to pick the 50 best uh, ACC players ever and the 400 names on it. So I go through and I'm crossing this guy off, crossing this guy off and everything. And I said, okay, well, that's done. And I counted up how many I had left. I had 150 left. Then you had to start to start cutting two-time All-Americans, yeah. player of the year in the conference, uh, just one thing after another until you got to the most elite players you could imagine. And it, I want to and I want to land on one, Mike, because this is one that you know with Michael Jordan, um, you know, as the face, and and rightly so, of the Last Dance and what happened there. Sure, you spent a lot of time. And I live 45 minutes from here, been to games at the University of Maryland. And I want to circle in with Lefty, Lefty Drizel and, and Lenny Bias. Um, oh, you know, I loved them both. How, how well did you get to know those guys? Uh, I knew Lefty very, very well. Lefty and I even did one season of basketball together. Uh, and he could tell stories. Boy, did he have stories. <laughs> Um, lefty was a brilliant recruiter, a brilliant practice coach and a mediocre game coach. Hmm. And if, if he hears this, I hope he doesn't take it as an insult. Uh, did he have good assistance? Did he have an offensive and a defensive coach who could dial it up? Yeah, but he made the decisions, you know, lefty lefty knew what he was doing and he was going to do it his way. Uh, but I, I, I love Lefty. I, I knew Lenny, uh, you know, we weren't buddies or anything, but I had talked to him several times, uh, and it was so tragic. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the, the story was, it was the first time he ever did cocaine and it was an overdose. And I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Uh, I would like to believe it is. It was just an accident. Uh, I'll promise you Lefty never knew about it if he, if he was doing it because Lefty would have stopped it. Mm. He, he yeah, well, well he for those who don't know, because this is a, obviously an, an old story, Lenny Bias, Len Bias, played the uh, University of Maryland under a legendary coach, Lefty Drizel. He was drafted. What, what number was he drafted by the Celtics? Uh, yes, he was drafted was he first? number one. Yeah, he was number yeah. one pick. And just a few I weeks later. I believe he was the number one overall pick. And he would have he would have been good for twenty points and eight boards every night for the rest of his life. Yeah, he was that good. I mean, he had the, the there was no weakness in his game. He was a brilliant defensive player. Boy, he was. He good had incredible intensity. I mean, he played for forty minutes, and if they yeah. wanted to take him out of the game, he didn't want to come out. He was just great. So, and but, but anyway, so he, uh, he ended Drizel, up. No, go ahead. All I was going to say was lefty Drizel beat Dean Smith for the first time at the Smith center. Dean was undefeated at the Smith center and Len bias uh, beat him that night. And that was one of the, the proudest moments of lefty's career that he beat Dean Smith for the first time in the Smith. Center. Was Jordan on that uh, North Carolina squad? I want to say no. Well, I'll give it to you, Lefty, but Jordan was there. 
Okay. No, no, no. But uh, but I just to to, that makes it even better. Yeah, for people who don't know, left uh, Len Bias died of a uh, well, he passed away. There are are some cocaine overdose. I think was the yeah, and and just right after the draft, and it was yeah. You know, growing up in D.C., I went to Maryland football games. I'd been some basketball games. I used to go to a bunch of Georgetown games during that era. Uh, it sure. was, you know, I live in Southern California now. Um, and when Kobe Bryant died, uh, just a little while back, Mike, it was very similar to what I felt in DC when Len Bias died. I remember getting that oh, news. I'll bet. I'll bet. I was at a high school event and they announced it. And I mean, it was, you know, very similar to what I, I was in a basketball gym, uh, a youth basketball game when Kobe Brian's death came around and it felt very similar. Len Bias was a big deal. And I, I think, you know, to put context around Michael Jordan, what he did, Len could play with Michael, but like that—that that was the only guy. When you yeah, watch Jordan in his prime, where you're like mm, that other guy. I mean, they sort of played different positions. I think Len played a little more underneath, and and Michael played more yeah, Len, on his Len hand. Was a, Len was a forward. Yeah. Right. So, but man, when those two were on the court together and playing against each other, I man, I wish the side. You know. I'm not saying Jordan doesn't win all those, but Boston sure plays a lot different with Len Bias through that era. Oh, my Lord. Yes. Like I said, he'd have been good. He was a cornerstone points guy. and yeah. eight rebounds. Yeah, he was. And yeah. he'd have played for 15 years and he'd have been an all pro 10 of them. All right, so let's bring it home. We've been chatting for a while. It took us a while to get going, and sorry for uh, your – you guys still got that little computer glitch, but we can hear most of you, Mike. This is mostly going to okay. be okay. <laughs> no um, so here we are, 2010. That's what my doctor said before heart surgery. That's right. So here we are, 2010. I get a call from our bosses at ESPN because our colleague is going to run for the Senate uh, in Texas. So you're working with Craig James doing college football and there's all that, you know, crazy stuff with Texas tech. I think, yeah, yeah, where he said this, you said that, and who knows what, but anyway, Craig decides to run for Senate in Texas. And I get a call from our boss saying, Hey, would you like to work with Mike Patrick? Now, all that we've gone through, Mike, you know, we're talking like we've known each other for 10 years. At that moment, you and I have only met a couple of times, shook hands. Hey, right. how you doing? Good to see you. We, we, we had right. not spent any time interacting. So I don't think my boss, it was Ed Placey who called at ESPN, understood. I was like, are you kidding me? He's the best in the business. Of course oh, I want to well, go call a game. So between getting that call and us starting to work together in 2010, my mom revealed to me that she always thought you were hot. And that's why channel seven was on oh my God. when I was growing up. So I walked into my icon and sort of grossed how, how did out that go over and sort of grossed out that my mom, <laughs> the reason we were watching channel seven ABC was because she wanted to see if Mike Patrick was hosting and doing a story that night. Oh, that's hilarious. So, so I'm walking in with these mixed emotions of like my icon and, and, my, and I know my mom's watching at home. With googly eyes oh, to my, my new Lord. my new temporary partner, <laughs> so oh, oh. I got a lot I got a lot hanging on this, and and I want to <laughs> say thank you on a couple levels. You know, I was coming and I'd been at it for a while, Mike. You know, I do my homework. I, I try not to flinch from the moment. Oh, but I it know was that. a big deal, Mike. You Sunday night football was a big deal. I was in the NFL when that hit, and it 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 was a it was the game that we all got to watch. That was really important. Yes. We all, yes. if we weren't, if they, we weren't one of the two games, I only played one Sunday night game in my career. The other, all the other Sunday nights, every NFL player was watching your games and you guys yeah, were good. True. You knew what you were talking about. Joe was on top of his game, analyzing McGuire was doing his McGuire thing as good as it could be done. Right. And the reason was because of you, you're really good at the center of a oh. storm, man. You are really good. You're a good captain. You're thoughtful. You listen. You hear everything, Mike. You know, it's funny. Earlier you were saying, oh, I don't listen. I wouldn't hear it. You know, that's BS, man. You, of all of the people I work for, over, with, and, and look, play-by-play play, the host, you're the boss of the show. I got to follow you. If we're going to break, we're going to break. If we're doing all of that, you were the best I worked with. And I'm not the only analyst who thinks that. Because well, that is so kind. there's such a difference between being a play-by-play play person and being a, um, an MC. 
and you did both. Right. You know, you well, really did both. My, I thought, Ed, I thought my job, uh, and I don't know who told me this. I think I was still in college. Said, your job is to make the people around you better. Mm. You, you are supposed to describe the action. And then if you can ask them, I noticed this. Why did this happen? Did this ever happen to you? Does this remind you of something? You know, and I, I mean, people like you were so good that I could ask you anything. And I knew you would have the answer. But you, know, you would I ask, would never, you know, what's interesting, Mike, and, and whoever that was and however you did that. And if there are people who are trying to be in play by play or trying to be in this business, you have to take what Mike is saying to heart right now, because there is nothing more frustrating and awful than listening to a play by play person not dig into the expertise of the player or coach next to them at the level that that person can be dug into. You know, right. I'm sure you worked with some guys who they didn't quite have the well, so you're not going to ask them a complicated question, but you can engage them on, oh, what did he do right with that block, right. Jim? Right. You know, you can find that because, Mike, you that's all you did. That was your dead. You came prepared. You came ready with your stories and that sort of But we also always talked about them. I always had a hook where, oh, here's where right. I could come in with Mike and add to this. And uh, in a right. way that, you know, of course I've been in partnerships have you had where it's, you know, it's bifurcated. You call the play, I'll talk football and I'll see you at next week's game. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you hear those games um, and, you know, I'll, I'll sort of name drop. I think Joe Buck doesn't get enough recognition for doing what you say, but on the baseball side, he has helped me become a baseball fan again because he oh, gets in at baseball. Oh, he's so brilliant good. Baseball. And it's just when it needs to be, it is about what's the pitch? What are they doing? Where does he have to hit the mark? You know, yes. and it's not him giving the answer, um, but boy, you do it, did it brilliantly. And um, I, I just Let me throw the one, one thing in here. The, 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 the irony that I ended up being a sportscaster was that I didn't study in high school and I didn't study in college because I saw no point to it. Since I didn't know what I was going to do, uh, I was suspended once at GW and I was on the verge of being suspended the second time, which means I would have been expelled. And my mother would have beat me to death by hammer had that happened. When I discovered broadcasting, I had a 2.0, which kept you in school my first two years. Then when I switched to broadcasting and it was, it was speech and drama was the closest thing GW mm. had. I had a three, nine, the last two years. Mm. So I finally found something I was interested in. But if, if, if I had known how much study it required to do play by play, I might yeah. not have gotten into it because it was 65, 70 hours a week for me. Yeah. I had to memorize everything I possibly could in case it came up, but the games were the joy, the absolute thrill of that two and a half hours or three hours, or if you back in the days when Houston passed on every play, the five hour games. Uh, but it was, it, it, it was the greatest rush in the world to do those games. And you, you mentioned, I, I, I will not mention this man's name. He's gone, but he thought he was, it was the only guy I ever worked with as an analyst who thought he was God's gift to football and didn't have to do any homework. And the first game we did together, I asked him a question about the other team and he had no idea. Mm. He just said, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and it was that way all year long. And I said, don't you even look at the press releases? He says, no, don't have to. Wow. So, yeah, those guys won't last very long these days. Uh, no. That's for sure. No. Well, Mike, we've been at it for a little while, and uh, we're, there's going to be a part two here because we haven't even gotten into good stories yet. We haven't even gotten into good stories yet, so we're going to do a part oh, two. We, we got some good stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to – actually, I'll tease it because we will do a part two. Um, I want to talk about our interaction with Jack Nicholas at Florida State. Oh, yeah. You remember that one? 
Wasn't that fun? <laughs> a very unique interaction with a, a golf legend that Mike and I share. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll make yes. that part of part two. We'll tell some stories. So, <laughs> Mike, thanks. Well, that is one of the gifts of doing this show: getting to know people I like and respect even a little more. Thanks, Mike. You truly are a gift. Thank you, sir. Resources, as always, Wikipedia. A donation has been made on behalf of the show. We will continue to do so as we make episodes. And they pushed me through to a nice article by John Antonick on WVUSports.com. Clarksburg's Patrick, proud of his Mountain State roots. It's a terrific piece, and I'm glad you documented Mike in this way. Thanks, John. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated, and this episode was produced by me and edited by Ryan Lindsay. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, Alex Tosopoulos, producer, Carter, the audio engineer, Connor Haynes and Cam Rogers helping out with marketing. Cam is also host of Golf Bets on Us, a golf betting podcast on the Believe Network. And my first contact with Team Believe, Bron Husenstam, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone. If you're up for it, please leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast. You want to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, at Let's Huddle With. Facebook page, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham. Instagram, Let's underscore Huddle underscore With underscore Ed. And if you want to come right to the show's webpage, go to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Scroll through their lineup. It's quite impressive. Search up Let's Huddle and you'll get to our homepage. Please reach out, let us know what you think, any corrections, clarifications, things you'd like to hear about. Do so patiently in this podcast world. It's DIY, and I have social media training wheels on. And to quote Mike Patrick, Jordan steals the ball. What was that? Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.